He's a mystery writer, writer, and so to get ideas, what he does is he follows around this detective who's solving murder mysteries, and he uses those in his book. Uh, another one that we really like is a show called The Mentalist, which is a show, again, about a detective who tries to figure out the mystery uh, in, the, in the show. And so all of these shows kind of start, start the same, but it's amazing how many of these shows there are. There's like CSI New York, CSI Miami, CSI Las Vegas, there's Hawaii Five O. Uh, I mean, there's tons of cop shows out there, aren't there? It's either a cop show or it's a hospital show or it's a reality TV show. Um, there's not a whole lot more than that, but those are kind of the shows that you get. But in these shows, the reason why they're so popular is because there's a mystery that is being unfolded over the course of the show. And so in the very beginning, it's extremely predictable. In the very beginning, someone gets murdered. It just happens every time. And then throughout the show, they're trying to solve the mystery, trying to figure out, trying to take the clues, put them together to find out the answer, to discover who done it, right? We even see this in like uh, in games. I was jogging with Josh Brooke the other day, and he said, yeah, tonight we're going to go to Olive Garden, then we're going to play this new mystery game where you pretend like you're this person, and then you have to find out who did the murder. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's called Clue. We play it all the time. He's, no, no, it's a, it's a new version. And so mystery is something that our culture is just infatuated with. Mystery is something that we love. We love to find out the solution or the answer to the mystery. In today's passage, Paul is going to tell us that God has unfolded the grandest mystery of all. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you would open up to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, if you have a red Bible, it's on page 977. Let me remind you, as you turn there, where we have just come from. In the second half of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is talking about how the Gentiles, and Gentiles are non-Jews, non-Israelites, how the Gentile Ephesians were once far off from God. They were distant from God, but God, through his grace, brought them near. He brought them near to the people of God. He brought them near to the person of God. And with the Jews, with the Israelites, he made them into the place of God, the church, for God to be worshipped, for God to be glorified. Paul continues that thought today, talking about how God has saved the Gentiles, of which most of us are Gentile Christians. That's who Paul writes us to. So read with me, if you would, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And then keep your Bibles open, because we're going to be digging through this passage a lot today. Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, 
I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might know might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. God, as we discover or perhaps rediscover the mystery that you have unfolded throughout history, God, we pray that our hearts would be overjoyed that you have decided not to keep this a secret, but you have made it an open secret for us to know, for us to enjoy, for us to share. We pray this morning you would transform our hearts that we might delight and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul says that God has revealed a mystery. And so what we're going to do, we're just going to start out by looking at the mystery. What is the mystery? First, we see that the mystery is hidden. And of course, this is part of every mystery, right? You know, in those detective shows, as they go out, as they search the crime scene, they have certain clues. They know that somebody has killed this person with a knife or with a gun or whatever it might be. They know some of the clues, but they aren't exactly sure how everything was done. This is exactly what Paul's kind of talking about here, that there is a mystery. Look with me in verse 5, if you would. He said, this mystery, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. And so this was a reveal, or excuse me, this was a hidden mystery. And so what he's saying is that in the Old Testament, the time before Jesus, the other generations, they did not understand how something was going to happen, how this mystery was going to unfold. What they did not know was how God was going to carry forth his salvation, how God was going to carry out his plan of salvation. They knew, David knew, and Abraham knew, and Isaiah knew. They knew that God was going to send a Savior. They knew that God was going to save his people because he promised to. But what they did not know was how. What they did not know was who. And so the mystery was hidden. Paul goes on to talk about how the mystery had been revealed. Look with me, if you would, in verse 3. He says, The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, that's the folks of the Old Testament, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets, by the Spirit. And so what Paul says is this mystery has been solved. This mystery has been revealed miraculously through the working of the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit telling to Paul and telling to the apostles 
how the mystery has been solved, how the mystery has been accomplished. And what we see here is that it's only by the working of the Holy Spirit that we could ever understand the mystery of God, the mystery of the gospel, just as it took the Holy Spirit for Paul to understand the good news of Christ, to understand the mystery accomplished. It takes no less for you or for me. You see, Paul has written down this mystery. Many of the apostles and prophets have written down the mystery in the scriptures. You see, the first two-thirds of the Bible, the Old Testament, builds the mystery. It points to the solution. It gives clues. But in the New Testament, the solution is revealed. And the way that it's revealed is that the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul, spoke to the apostles. They wrote it down that the Holy Spirit could speak through the word to us. You know, for the first 18 years of my life, the Bible was around me. Uh, It was mostly just a place to keep our birth certificates and write down important dates. But it was just a dry dictionary to me. That's what it felt like. A big rule book that I had no interest in. But when God saved me, when God put his Holy Spirit inside of me, the the scriptures came alive. They were a living, breathing document. You know, we live in a culture where people will talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And being baptized in the Holy Spirit means, you know, speaking in tongues, dancing, doing backflips, maybe levitating some crazy things, right? That's that's how you know if the Holy Spirit is inside you, if you're doing these phenomenal and amazing and supernatural things. And what we learn here is that reading the Bible understanding it, not only intellectually, but having your heart transformed by it is a work of the Holy Spirit. And so you see the Holy Spirit, when you're reading God's word, when it's transforming your life, when you are now being transformed to enjoy God and to glorify God more, the Holy Spirit is actively at work in your heart. You know, it's kind of like there's this website. It's www.translate.google.com. Uh, sometimes if I have things in other languages that I need to be translated into English or if I need to trans English into another language, what you can do is you can actually take a section. So I've taken sections of a Russian Bible before and I put it into this application uh, on translate.google.com. I put it in there, I paste it in there, and then I hit translate and it spits out to me this English version so I can understand it. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. As we read the Word of God, it is mysterious. It is actually foolish to people who do not have the Holy Spirit. But for us who do, for those who have trusted in Christ, who have received the Holy Spirit, we now have the privilege of understanding the mystery of God as it's laid out in the Bible. Okay, so we have, so Paul is talking about mystery, mystery, mystery. He's talking about how the mystery has been, he, has been hidden, how it's been revealed through the Holy Spirit. Uh, but then he goes on to actually explain what the mystery is. Here it is in verse 6. Look with me. Very concisely, he says in verse 6, this is the mystery. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now remember, Paul is writing this to Gentiles, to non-Israelites. And there was a mystery of how those Gentiles would one day be saved. And to be honest with you, the mystery is the same for the Jews and the Gentiles, how they could be saved. 
But Paul is writing to a Gentile audience. How is it that they could be brought near to God? How could they be brought into a relationship with God? They were not children of Abraham, who was promised to be a blessing, promised to be a blessing to the nations, promised that salvation would come through his line. They were not his child. And so how could they possibly be saved? Well, let's look at the mystery in the Old Testament a little bit, okay? And we have some of these up for PowerPoint. Um, Let me just kind of try to put the mystery of the Old Testament together for you somewhat concisely. There are two tensions in the Bible, in the Old Testament. The first is this, is that God is a God of promise. God tells Abraham this in Genesis twenty-two eighteen. He says, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. All the nations. That means not just Jews, not just Israelites. It means Gentile Ephesians. It means Gentile Americans. All the nations should be blessed through your offspring, Abraham, is what God says. Now, that's not so confusing, but here's where the tension comes in, is that God is not just a God of promise. God is also a God of justice. After God gives his wonderful and perfect and glorious law, telling us not to murder each other, telling us not to steal from each other, telling us not to covet each other's things, God gives this warning. In Deuteronomy 27, 26, he said, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Do you see the mystery? Do you see the the catch-22 that God has put himself in here? God says, I will bless all the peoples of the earth. I will bless people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. But God also says, I am going to curse those who break the law. Who breaks the law? All of us. All of us have coveted. All of us have stolen. All of us have murdered, at least in our hearts. And so God creates this mystery. He says, I am going to bless you. But then he says, you're going to be cursed. And so how can God promise blessing for those who deserve to be cursed what is the solution to this mystery and this is what they're fighting throughout the entire old testament how is god going to reconcile this that we could be saved we deserve his curse but he promises blessing and paul actually shows us this in another passage if you could leave this powerpoint up keep your fingers in ephesians chapter 3 um, just a few page earlier, pages earlier in Galatians chapter 3, if you would turn there, it's, it's probably two or three pages uh, towards the front. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul actually walks us through this mystery and shows us the, the solution, shows us what happens. So let's start uh, Galatians 3.8, and we'll jump around a little bit here. But Galatians 3.8 says this, And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel, the good news, beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. That's what we just read here in Genesis twenty-two eighteen. that God promises all the nations should be blessed through the offspring of Abraham. All right? Skip down with me a little bit to uh, verse 10 in Galatians 3. 
For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. And so you see here, that's Deuteronomy 27, 26. And so Paul is going over the mystery that was laid out in the Old Testament. God promises to bless the nations, but he promises to curse anyone who disobeys the law, which is everyone. And then the aha moment comes. The mystery is solved. The detective comes forward and says, this is who done it, this is how they done it, and this was their motivation for doing it. And he reveals the mystery. This is the glorious and wonderful aha moment that the, Gentile, that the Jews and the Israelites have been waiting for for centuries. And here it is in verse 13 and 14 of Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, the curse that we deserve for disobeying God's law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through his, through faith, excuse me, promised spirit through faith. So at the cross, the mystery is solved. At the cross, the solution is accomplished. At the cross, salvation is won because Jesus takes the curse that we deserve upon himself and pays for it so that we can receive the blessing of God that he has promised. And so this catch-22 that we thought God was in is reconciled at the cross as we are reconciled to God. And so the curse we deserve, Christ takes. And the blessing Jesus deserves because of his perfect obedience to the law is given to us. And we are given into a relationship with God. The mystery is solved. The mystery is accomplished. The question is, how do we receive that mystery? This, this, this good news of salvation is not for everyone. Flip back to Ephesians chapter 3. Look with me in verse 12. It says, In whom, meaning Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence. We have boldness and access with confidence to God. You do not have confidence to go to God if you're going to be cursed. You have confidence to go to God if you're confident that God is going to bless you. He goes on, and the way that we receive this is through our faith in him. And so maybe this is new for some of you, that you actually deserve God's wrath because of your sin, because of your disobedience to the law. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what we learn is that you will no longer receive the wrath you deserve. You will receive the blessings that Christ has earned on our behalf. And so Paul encourages us to put our faith in, in Jesus Christ, that we could receive not God's curse, but God's blessing. So the mystery has been revealed. We know what the mystery is. What are we to do with this mystery, this good news of salvation? 
What we see here is that we are called to share the mystery. First, by stewarding the mystery. Look with me. We're back in Ephesians 3. Look in verse 2 and 3 with me. He says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. I love that Paul uses this term stewardship. He is made a steward of God's grace. He's made a steward of the mystery of God. He is made a steward of the gospel for the Gentiles. You know, I think we know what this word stewardship means. Basically, it means that you are put in charge of someone else's property. You're put in charge of something that belongs to somebody else. And so maybe you would bring in someone, uh, uh, someone to clean your house and they were stewarding your house. They were putting it into order. It, it's not their stuff. It's your stuff, but they're organizing it. Or you might steward your money with a bank. Uh, this past weekend at the men's retreat, Chris Hodge shared a great illustration of stewardship. He said, what would it be like if you went to a bank and you went to a bank to open up a savings account and you said, hey, I have $10,000 here. I'd like to put it in a savings account and I'd like for it to accumulate a little money and I'll probably come back and draw it out in a few years. And so you sit down with this guy named Joe and you say, this is my plan. And he says, sounds good. And you write him a check and he takes your money and he puts it in a savings account. Now, let's say you go back three years later and you say, I would like to draw out my $10,000.95 worth of interest, right? And you want to take it out and you want to receive it. And the teller pulls up your account and she looks at it and, and she kind of has this worried look and you're sitting there thinking, what, what's wrong? And she says, well, you actually only have about $500 in your account. And you're fuming, right? You're like, there must be some mistake. And she says, no, no, there's no mistake. You know, uh, Joe opened your bank account and Joe stewarded your money, <laughs> but he stewarded it very liberally and very generously. There were some folks who, who needed a, a car, so Joe gave them some of your money. And, you know, actually Joe likes nice things, so Joe bought a a big screen TV with your money. And actually, uh, Joe's in Australia, uh, and he sends my thanksgivings to you for sending him there. We'd be furious, right? Because he hasn't stewarded your money wealth in the banking realm, right? They're to steward your money conservatively. God says you are a steward of the mystery of Christ. You're a steward of the gospel of Christ. But unlike a bank... You are not supposed to steward it conservatively. You are supposed to steward it generously, liberally, sharing it with anyone and everyone the mystery of God that He has sent Christ to the cross to reconcile us with God, that God's justice and God's promise of salvation and mercy meet at the cross. We're called to steward it generously. And so, my question for you is how's that going? <laughs> Are you stewarding the mystery? If you trust in Christ, it's not that you may or may not be a steward. You are a steward of the grace of God, of the message of salvation. How are you stewarding that? Are you stewarding it conservatively, keeping it to yourself like a bank? It's not what God wants. God wants us to steward it generously. And let me be honest, it's tough. It's hard. You know, so many times in my life, I have my own agendas. 
I have my own things I want to do. I don't want telling someone about Jesus to get in way of what I have to accomplish, right? It's tough. But we have a mystery that God has given to us to steward generously and liberally to those around us. And the comforting thing is that as we share the mystery, as we learned earlier, is the Holy Spirit that will transform hearts and transform lives. It's not by your amazing persuasion, your amazing understanding of the scriptures. It is the work of God as you communicate the good news of Christ to them. You know, I think of the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. Many of you know this story, but Joseph was basically thrown into a urinal by his brothers, brought back up, sold as a slave, sent to Egypt, was there unrightfully accused of a crime, put in jail. Joseph was the lowest of lows there. And yet God raised him up to be the steward of all the riches of Egypt, the most wealthy nation on the earth. He was a steward taken from the lowest of lows to be a steward. You know, you might be here saying, you know, I'm not really worthy of of stewarding this good news. I'm not really worried of revealing this uh, mystery to people. And, uh, and, And you're right, you're not. But you cannot be the least worthy person. You might be the second least worthy, but you cannot be the least worthy because Scripture tells us who the least worthy person was to steward this mystery. Look with me, if you would, verse 8, or verse 7 and 8 here in Ephesians 3. It says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. This is Paul speaking which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least, and literally that means I am the least of the less of the least. I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to me. What was the grace? What was the privilege? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of grace. Joseph has nothing on you. Joseph has nothing on Paul. Paul Uh, Joseph got to steward financial riches, but you and I and Paul get to steward the mystery of Christ, salvation for all who believe. And so we're called to steward it generously, to steward the unsearchable riches of Christ to those who are around us. And we're to do it even if it means suffering for the mystery. You see this passage is bookended by verse 1 and 13. And Paul talks about his suffering. In verse One, he says that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. The Gentiles, his proclamation, his revealing the mystery to them, sent him to jail. And then in verse 13, he says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And so what Paul is saying here, he says, if you gave me a hundred chances, a hundred out of a hundred times, I would choose to go to prison that your soul might be set free. A hundred out of a hundred times, I would choose death that your soul might live, that you might be alive to God. That is the glory of the mystery that we get to share with the world waiting and hoping. And so we see that we are called to steward this mystery by by suffering for it, possibly, but by sharing it for sure. Now, what is the purpose of sharing this mystery? And this is the part that just blows me away. Let's look at verse 8 through 10. And this is unbelievable. Never seen this before. Verse 8. To me, 
Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages uh, in God who created all things. So that, and this means in order that, so this is the reason, this is the purpose of us revealing the mystery of God. Through the church, the gathering of God's people, through God's people, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. So what he's saying here is that as Christ builds his church, as we reveal the mystery to those around us, it reveals the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom is the many-colored wisdom of God, the many layers of God's wisdom. And so here's, here's kind of how I think of it. If you would go to an orchestra which I have not been to many, I'll be honest. Um, but if you go to an orchestra, there are many, many instruments up there, right? There's oboe, there's piano, there's probably drums, not drums. Sometimes drums, okay, drums. There's uh, all these instruments, which I could not tell you about. Um, but all of them are playing harmoniously, right? And as they play together, and as it does not sound like a plane crash, but it sounds something beautiful and wonderful, what it does is it shows the manifold wisdom of the composer. It shows the manifold wisdom of the one who wrote the music, both for the drums and for the oboe and for the piano and for the violin. It shows all his wisdom to the audience in the crowd. And it says when we tell people about Jesus, we are displaying the manifold wisdom of God. We are showing how wise and glorious he is. But look here. Look and see who is the audience to this manifold wisdom. Look here in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. To who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So, when we come alongside our coworker or our mom or our dad or our children, as we tell them about Jesus, as Christ builds his church, there's actually something happening in heaven. Angels are going, God, I didn't know you were that wise. Wow, you are more wise than I even knew. And you thought you were just telling someone about Jesus. It's amazing. And we get to reveal the mystery. Um, on March 2nd, 2011, about 10 days ago, I got an email from Joy Simpson. And the email went something like this. Dear family and friends, we are extremely excited to announce the news of our second grandchild arriving to Lucas and Amy around September 1st. Mother and baby just entered second trimester and feeling well. And then it's signed, thrilled grandparents, Pat and Joy. Some of you may have re received that email. What you may not know, the backstory to that email was that Pat and Joy actually knew for many, many weeks that Amy and Lucas were pregnant with their next grandchild, but they could tell no one because Amy and Lucas first had to tell their bosses, they had to tell their friends, they had to tell their family, and so they had to hold on to this secret for weeks, and it was killing them. Finally, the time had come. They were given permission. They said, go and tell the secret. It is an open secret now. And they proclaim it to everyone they can find, glorying in this fact that they're going to have a new grandchild. The mystery of God's salvation was hidden 
for centuries. But it's been revealed and it's been accomplished through Jesus Christ. We read of it in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit enlightens our heart to it. We now, as Christians, have a mystery to reveal to a world that is watching and waiting. We are called to steward this open secret generously, even to the point of suffering, so that the angelic beings can understand the manifold wisdom of God and that God might be glorified. If you're a Christian here today, the time has come. The time has come. It is an open secret. God wants you to tell the world about the mystery of God, how he reconciles sinners to himself, that we can have a relationship with him. It is an open secret revealed and accomplished at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so the encouragement this morning is this. Reveal the mystery to your coworker, to your family, to your friends, to your waiter. Reveal the mystery. It is a privilege and an honor in which angelic beings are learning and growing because of it. Let's pray. God, you have given us a high calling to steward the mystery of Christ. God, I, I do pray that if there's anyone here who this is still a mystery to, Lord, we pray that you would show them your grace through your Holy Spirit. Obviously, they are here not by accident, but because you have been working in their life. Lord, we, we do pray that we would steward your mystery with boldness, that it would become preeminent in our heart, that the cross would be glorious to us, and that we would share it with all who are around us, God by your grace, for their salvation, and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.